home. All right, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, if you look at it, the Word of God says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Uh, So let's read it again. I want you to really think about what the verse is saying here. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the wonderful truths that can teach us. And we ask you to really give us insight and wisdom and grace. We ask you to be with those that we mentioned and... Uh, Lord, be with Pastor Jerry getting this very uh, aggressive cancer treatment that started uh, on Monday, and please be with him and the church and and so many others that we have mentioned. As we turn our attention to the Word of God, I pray that you would give us great insight and grace and know how to apply these things to our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And so our... Theme verse, we get the phrase sound doctrine from it, healthy doctrine. And we talked about the fact that sound doctrine, that phrase is used four times in your King James Bible, and we learned about those instances. We also learned that the faithful word is the source of sound doctrine. So holding fast the faithful word, that's speaking of the word of God, the Bible. And let me just remind you once again that the Bible is faithful. This is the inspired, preserved, inerrant, indestructible Word of God. I wish I could take the time right now just to remind you of all the times tyrants and people have tried to eradicate the Word of God from the world, destroy it from culture. And here we are all these years later, millennia later, still talking about the faithful Word. And the, the truths in this Bible, the principles, are just as relevant today as they were the days they were first inspired. You know, the New Testament inspired 2,000 years ago. The Old Testament, uh, parts of it inspired uh, 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. And here we have uh, still relevant today. I mean, you can read your newspaper this morning or turn on the news or check the headlines and uh, the, the truths in this book are still relevant today. Matter of fact, I believe this book is the only hope for what's going on in the world today. The, the, the Savior of the Bible, the God of the Bible is the only hope for what's going on today. We need to return back to the Word of God. And it's no wonder that Satan has worked so hard to get the Word of God out of the minds and hearts of people. You know, I often remind you that the Bible, the King James Bible, should be studied in public school, if nothing else, as a literary masterpiece. The greatest piece of English literature ever written. And they don't study it. We study Shakespeare and and Chaucer and Dickens and all of these other folks, but we can't study the the Bible. Uh, Why is that? Well, because it's powerful. And it changes lives. You know, some years ago, the youngins may not remember, but many of you will remember 10, 20 years ago, they were working so hard to try to get any 
public Bible verse erased, any cross taken down. Uh, and that yet you go to Washington, D.C., and there's literally Bible verses etched in every monument in, in our nation's capital. But most people don't know that. Uh, trying to take the Ten Commandments out of public view. Why? Because there's something dangerous about having the Ten Commandments out where people can see them. Folks, this book is powerful, and we need to hold on to it. I was talking to a, a chiropractor today, one of Stacy's special chiropractors, and uh, he's, he's really into politics and, and uh, such, and he's a Catholic man, but interested in the things of God, and we have interesting conversations, and it's funny, I think he works on us a little bit more slowly so that, that we can have time to chat, and uh, we, have, we have some good, deep conversations, and we were talking today about the fact that words matter. Words mean things, and that's why they're trying to control people's speech, uh, the things like political correctness. And we see how now that, uh, 10 years ago, that was, well, don't say that because it's offensive. Now that's turned into, call me what I tell you to call me, or you're a criminal. Why? Because words matter. The word of God is the most important word. Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, the embodiment of the written Word of God. The written Word of God are the most powerful words on the planet, and they mean something. And they're life-changing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us it gets down to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The Word of God hits people in a place that my words don't hit and your words don't hit. When you and I speak, we talk to the ears. When God speaks, it gets into the heart and even to the places of who can tell where my body, soul, and spirit intersect, that, that trinity that God's given each one of us. Who can tell where the actual dividing line is? Well, God can. And the Bible says that it has the ability to find those, those minute intersections of soul and spirit and minister there and do its work there. No wonder they're trying to hide this book. No wonder they don't want it talked about. There is a bill in California that they've tried to pass the last several years, and one of these days it will pass. And that bill identifies the Holy Bible as a book of hatred, as hate speech. Why? Because it says things like homosexuality is condemned by God. It says things like God cares about things like marriage and morality. And for that, for daring to speak the truth, one of these days, if God does not supernaturally prohibit it, one of these days, there's going to be a state in, the, in the, our nation where this book is identified as hate speech, the very word of God. And there's going to come a day, whether we're here or whether we're raptured out before, then there's going to come a day in our nation where this book will be outlawed as hate speech. There's going to be a day in our nation where a preacher like me will be jailed for simply saying what the Bible says. You say, that's not possible. It's already happened in Canada. 
See, a lot of people think as Canada as kind of like America light, our little brother, our little sister. And what you're finding out in the last few years is they have a very different system than you and I. They don't have the same constitution. They don't have the same Bill of Rights. But no wonder in America they're undermining our constitution and our Bill of Rights. Why? Because words matter. And the faithful word, holding fast the faithful word. No wonder they try to limit this book and outlaw this book and destroy this book. Voltaire was a famous atheist during the French Revolution and he said in his lifetime the Bible would be eradicated from public life and at his death they were printing Bibles on the very press he used to print his pamphlets with can't get rid of the Word of God. Every tyrant in history has tried to get rid of the Word of God. Hitler tried to get rid of the Word of God, actually tried to create his own version of the Bible, as people that try to twist religion do. You know, you can twist God's Word into saying certain things, but there's only so far you can twist it, so they will actually come up with their own translations, their own versions to try to take it even further and commit atrocities in the name of God. But it's the, the, the pure word of God that protects us when we read it as it is and rightly divide the word of God. It reveals everything. And I'm telling you, friend, and you know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. When you see the world through a biblical lens, you see things other people don't see. You have discernment and understanding that other people don't have. And it's a little scary to see people almost as marionette puppet where someone pulling the strings don't believe what you just saw, don't believe what you just heard. No, this word means this. Good is now bad. Bad is now good. And it can be scary to to see that. But what do you do? You hold fast the faithful word. You hold it fast. We don't give up the scripture. Because if they ever take the word from us, we're, we're lost, folks. We're done. You hear stories about preachers that were imprisoned in their faith in, in the Eastern Bloc and Russia and the story of men like Richard Wormbrand who was a, a pastor who was imprisoned and the horrible things that they did to him and made him watch. The only word that he had was what was hidden in his mind and his heart. And yet we, we memorize sports statistics and we can say line after line of our favorite movies and TV shows and we fail to commit the Word of God to memory. I wonder if this Word was taken away from us physically tonight, how much of it would we have left in our hearts? We've got to hold fast to the faithful word. Holding fast speaks of holding firm and not letting go. The Old Testament, we won't turn to it, but it tells a story of a man who was in battle and he fought so hard, defeating enemy after enemy, that by the time the battle was over, he couldn't let go of the sword. God wrought a great victory, but his hand physically was cramped and and 
clenched to that sword and he couldn't physically let it go. They had to peel his fingers back and, and get that sword to fall out. And uh, That's a good illustration of what it means to hold fast. It means to grab hold of it and never let it go. Fight until your last breath. Not, not a physical fight. Jesus taught us that the fight in this world is not a physical fight. Peter grabbed the sword and, and they came after Jesus and he said, you're not taking my Savior and he lopped off the ear of, of one of the people that came to arrest Christ uh, and Jesus took the ear and put it back on and healed it and he said, put your, put your sword away. Those that live by the sword die by the sword. What was he saying? Our battle right now is not a physical battle. God's intention is not to raise up Christians as people of war and strap on uh, bullets across their chest and have uh, hand grenades on their belt and go forward and cause physical destruction. No, the battle in this life right now, it's a spiritual battle. It's a mental battle, an emotional battle. It's a battle for the minds and hearts of mankind and the, the souls of men. And we need to fight that battle, holding fast to the Word of God. It's the Word of God that can change hearts and lives. Logic is not enough. You can't logic someone to trust Jesus. I think logic is important when you use the Word of God logically. But logic alone doesn't change the hearts and minds of men. A good argument, a fiery debate... All of that minus the Word of God is just blowing in the wind. But dear friend, if you, if you take the tools with which God has given us and we wield the Word of God holding fast the faithful Word, now there's real power. Now real change is possible. Now souls can get saved and lives can be changed and communities can be transformed. Families can be turned right side up. Addicts can be made clean, and drunkards can be made sober, and the immoral can be made moral, and those without character can have the character of Christ. Why? Because of the Word of God. And holding fast the faithful Word. The faithful Word. Notice it says, holding fast the faithful Word as He hath been taught. Folks, I just came back from Blessed Hope Baptist Church, and I'm so grateful that the church where I was born again, the church where my new life started is still holding fast the faithful word. I've got a lot of friends that can't say that. A lot of people where the church that they were saved at has dropped the word of God. They've gone to, to weak, watered-down versions. They've, they've walked away from ministry and soul winning and, and preaching Christ unashamedly. They've, they've walked away from teaching people how to live like Jesus after they're, they're born again. And I am, I am thankful for how I was taught the Word of God. I'm not an independent fundamental Baptist because I was saved in that church. I am that because I believe that's what Jesus would be if He were here today. I believe the way our church functions and the way our church teaches, if Jesus was alive walking the earth today, he is alive. But if he was walking the earth today, he would be preaching and teaching in churches just like this one. 
I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I would go to the type of church that I thought was. I'm a Baptist by conviction, studying the Word of God. But let me tell you, I'm thankful that I got saved in the right kind of church. A lot of people, they go to the wrong kind of church, or they get saved, go into a different kind of church, then they study the Bible and begin to realize, hey, there's something missing here, and they end up coming to a church like ours. I had the privilege of going to a church and getting taught the right way. And that's a blessing. I'm not looking for something new. I'm not looking for a new way. I'm not looking for some church that... Listen, folks, there are churches all over the the nation and even in our community where you can go as you are, leave the same way, week after week, get patted on the head, telling you that all your choices are okay, God loves you anyway, do what you want, God doesn't care, and try to make you feel good about yourself until your life falls apart. Friend, I'm not interested in that kind of business. I'm thankful for a church that teaches the right way and holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy, you don't need to find something new. You just need to hold fast the faithful word as you have been taught. And I'm thankful for people in our church, old and young, who are holding fast the faithful word. And I wish sometimes people would learn Learn by watching others who walk away from our path and see their lives fall apart. Learn from that so you don't have to walk that path yourself. I don't have to hit myself in the head with a hammer to know that it's not something I want to do. I don't have to hurt myself to think, oh yeah, that hurts. (laughs) Before I realize that's not what I want to do. And the same thing spiritually. I've seen marriages fall apart. I can tell you exactly how it happens. I've seen kids grow up in Christian homes and go out and wreck their lives into things that, that are unspeakable and unthinkable. I can tell you exactly how it happens. I can, I can tell you uh, I've seen it and I've, I've watched it and I know the Word of God. We know how these things happen, but somehow we think that it's not going to happen to us or when, when we get away from the faithful word, we, we forget the admonitions, the warnings, the encouragements. That's why it's so important that we hold fast to the faithful word. This, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And we hide God's word in our heart so that we don't walk those wicked paths. We hold fast the faithful word. Let me show you a couple other things the Bible says that we're supposed to hold fast and we'll go to our prayer time tonight. Hold fast the faithful word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hold fast the faithful word. What else are we supposed to hold fast? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives a wonderful list of do's and don'ts for the New Testament Christian. It's almost like the Ten Commandments for the New Testament church. Look at verse 21. 
prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Well, that's good advice, isn't it? Prove all things. Another word for prove is the word judge, the word discern. You know, one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible is judge not lest you be judged. People say, oh, don't judge me, you know, when they're doing something against the Bible and you remind them, don't judge me. And I always tell them, I'm not judging you, I'm telling you what the judge said. You know, people think that that means that you're not supposed to exercise discernment, that you're not supposed to notice what is right and wrong, and that's not true. The whole point of judge not lest you be judged is talking about judging motive. I can look at your life and say, what you just did is right or wrong according to the Bible, and that's totally fine. Where we get in trouble is we say, oh, you did wrong because of this. You did wrong because you think this. You did wrong because this is in your heart. I can't tell you what's in your heart. I can't tell you your motivations. But I can call balls and strikes because the Word of God tells us the strike zone. Oh, that's good. Why? Because God said it's good. Oh, that's not good. Why? Because God said it's not good. The Bible also says judge righteous judgment. So you have this thing where God says, listen, I want you to pay attention. I want you to to discern the world around you. I want you to be able to look at the world and judge what is right and wrong. I just don't want you judging people's hearts and motivations because you don't know the inner workings of the heart. Only God knows. And here's another verse that says, prove all things, judge all things. Look at that and say, that's right or that's wrong. We can look at our government and say it's right or it's wrong. We can look at our own life and say it's right or it's wrong. We can look at our neighbor and say that's right or that's wrong. We can look at our church and say that's right or that's wrong. But wait a minute, based on what? Not based on our own judgment, not based on our own system of of, of right and wrong, but based on the Word of God. Prove all things. We can compare everything we see and hear to what we know about the Word of God and decide if it's good or bad, if it's right or wrong. And the Bible says, I want you to do that. Prove all things. Before you go somewhere, prove it. Is it good to go here or is it not good to go here? Before you say something, it might be a good idea to prove it. Is it a good thing to say or is it not a good thing to say? I had a teacher in junior high, and she always used to say, engage your brain before opening your mouth. And she usually said it to me <laughs> so, and to, to a few other people. Listen, engage your brain before you open your mouth. Think There's no virtue in spewing out foolishness. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. That's what fools do. That's what the book of Proverbs says. I just don't have a filter. You should have a filter called the Word of God. Prove all things. Who am I going to spend time with? Who are my friends? Prove all things. You know, you ought to look at the people in your life and say, are these people helping me or are these people hurting me? Are these people leading me to righteousness or pulling me away from it? You know, that's one reason why parents let me help you. Parents should choose the friends of their children. 
You absolutely should. Why? Because kids don't know how to choose their own friends. How many of us had friends that got us into a lot of trouble? And so, until a child learns how to discern things, parents, that's why I tell teenagers all the time, the first, the first time they hear me say it, you, I wish you could see their face, their mouth, their jaw drops open, and their eyes get real big, because nobody in the world has ever said this to them before. And here's what I say. God gave you parents to tell you what to do. <laughs> and they're just like, their jaw drops like, what? You know, like nobody ever said this. Imagine that. Parents are not there to feed you. They're not your personal butler or maid. They're not your slaves. They're not your chauffeurs to drive you around. They are in your life to tell you what to do because you're not smart enough to know yet. And the sooner you listen to your parents and learn to think like they think and learn to follow their God, then the sooner you won't need them. Maturity is parenting yourself. How many of us, we get older and we think about, oh, man, my dad used to say that. <laughs> oh, my mom used to say that. Oh, man. I, it's, it's the hard part about growing up is you have to parent yourself. You have to decide what's right and wrong. You have to prove all things. And wait a minute. Hold fast to that which is good. Cleave to that which is good. Say, this is right, this is wrong, and then hold on to the right and get rid of the wrong. But how often do we say, I probably shouldn't, but... I probably shouldn't watch this, but. So we prove it and say, yeah, that's not good, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, no. Prove it, discern it, hold fast to that which is good, let go of that which is, is evil according to the word of God. Amen. And that helps us. So we should be discerning. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. A few more times the Bible says, hold fast. Hebrews chapter 3. And look at verse 4. For every house is builded by some man. That's an obvious situation. You ever see a house just appear and nobody built it? Of course not. Oh, the house evolved. No, it was built by somebody. Imagine that. Uh, this was one of the verses I used on my business cards back when I was uh, in uh, remodeling business. Uh, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. So there's a verse for intelligent design and creation. Oh, look at that tree. It's magically here. That's like saying, oh, look at that mansion. It just appeared. Those, those construction materials really are something, aren't they? No, it's the builder. Made that happen. Verse 5 And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of. Verse 6 But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. So here, the, remember the, the theme of Hebrews is Christ is better. And in this verse, he's reminding us that Christ is better than Moses. Amen? Christ is better than Moses. Uh, and then he says, hold fast to the confidence. The confidence of what? Your salvation and the rejoicing. So the word and, you can insert hold fast again. 
grammatically, that's how it's, that's the meaning of the, the phrase. You just don't have to say hold fast and hold fast. For if we hold fast the confidence and hold fast the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. And so notice here the, the phrasing is the Apostle Paul saying, listen, if you really got saved, you're going to hold fast this to the end. And if you hold fast to the end, you were really saved. And so the Apostle Paul was always warning people in the Scriptures. And sometimes these are verses that throw people off and make it seem like or make it feel like at a quick reading that, man, maybe I can lose my salvation. No, he's, he's, the Apostle Paul always includes a warning in, in the Gospel that, hey, if you're really saved, if you really believed, why? The only people that know that you're really saved are you and God. I don't know. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. And so we, we ought to, as the Bible says, to examine ourselves occasionally and to see if we're really in the faith. And by the way, if you're afraid to do that, it might be because there's a problem. If, you're, if you really believe you're saved, then there's not a problem to examine yourself again. And so here the Apostle Paul, hold fast under the confidence, hold fast under the rejoicing, firm until the end. Listen, if you're born again, hold fast to that confidence and praise the Lord for it. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Another thing we should hold fast. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the profession of what? Our faith without wavering. So listen, if you say you're born again, then hold fast that profession. What about these people that say, well, I'm born again, then, well, I don't know if I'm really saved, or, well, I used to be a Christian. No, nobody ever used to be a Christian. You either are a Christian or you are not a Christian. You either are born again or you've never been born again. But sometimes that profession can waver. We can, we can get into sin. We can lose our Christian testimony. And sin can even rob us of our own confidence, of, of our own salvation. And so the apostle here, through inspiration... Hold fast the profession of your faith. If you're, if you're going to be a Christian, be a strong Christian. And don't waver. Don't go back and forth. How do you do that? The next verse talks about being faithful to church. The next two verses. Uh, and listen, if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to be a good Christian in this evil world, you're going to need to surround yourself with Christians. And you're going to need to be faithful in church. It wouldn't take me very long after being out of church for your preacher to get backslidden. You say, oh no. No, it's, it's called humanity. It's called being a Christian. If I get out of church, I'm not going to be a good Christian. If you get out of church, you're not going to be a good Christian. The more church you go to, the better Christian you will be. And I'm preaching to the choir again tonight because you're here on a Wednesday night. You know why you're here on a Wednesday night? Because you're committed to following Christ. You're committed to trying to be a good Christian, to learning everything you can learn, to surrounding yourself with good people. This is how you hold fast the profession of your faith. All right, look at finally the book of Revelation. 
Two more times the Bible says to hold fast in the letters to the seven churches. And we'll just mention them. Revelation chapter 2. We see to the church of Thyatira, God doesn't have some, he has some difficult things to say. Look at verse 18, under the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Both those things are illustrations of judgment. Verse 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So this is a church. They were busy. They, they had ministries, but they had a woman prophetess, a woman preacher that was teaching them falsehoods uh, and even uh, to commit fornication uh, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So basically saying that immorality was okay and that dropping the standards of separation. Verse 21, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication. By the way, the Bible likens spiritual, spiritual fraternization with the world. It likens to what we would call adultery and fornication. It's like cheating on Jesus spiritually, like a husband would cheat on his wife or a wife would cheat on a husband. God says, "Why I saved you from the world. Why are you going back and flirting with it? Why are you, why are you uh, betraying me in this way as you're going back into the very sins that, that I died to save you from? Look down at verse 25. I look at verse 24. But unto you I say, unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan. So that says this church has had some pretty low lows. But there were people in the church that didn't follow that. There were people in this church that were trying to do right. And God tells them in verse 25, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. He said, those of you that haven't compromised... Those of you that haven't given in to this worldliness and this, this dropping of the separation between right and wrong and good and evil, don't give it up. Hold fast. Everybody around you may give in. The rest of your family may give in. The, the other people you know may go to churches that teach this way. But you hold fast. You do what you know is right. That's good advice for all of us, isn't it? And then lastly, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. Here speaking to the church in Philadelphia. Look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. In the openings of each one of these letters, Christ describes himself in a way that's applicable to the situation going on in this specific church. 
Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. That's the door of opportunity. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. This is a church that was under great persecution. They were under a lot of stress, but they had not compromised like the church before them. And they, they didn't know how much longer they could go. They were of little strength. They were giving it everything they had. And this is a note of encouragement from Christ. Look at verse 9. But behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. So he's saying, listen, I know you're going through a hard time right now, but one of these days everybody's going to know you were faithful. And these other people that look like they had success and they look like they were so blessed, but they weren't. They were going about it the wrong way. They were actually from the synagogue of Satan. Let me tell you, folks, there are churches out there that call themselves Christian churches and they're large and look successful, but they're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're empowered by an evil spirit. The Bible literally talks about the synagogue of Satan, the church of Satan. That's scary. And Christ says to this church who's barely hanging on, but they were faithful. He says, one of these days, everybody's going to know that you were the faithful ones, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, and they're going to bow to you. That's right. That's an encouraging letter, isn't it? Why? Verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. No, hold fast the faithful word. God was pleased with them because they held fast the word of his patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So hold fast. Listen, you're, you've stayed faithful. You've done good works for me. Don't quit in the end. And the, the idea that no man take thy crown, we also see this in, in uh, uh, the epistles of John, that we can earn rewards for the judgment seat of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and other verses. But the Bible also says that we can lose the rewards which we've gotten. Folks, it would be a shame to serve God for a, a lifetime, 10, 20, 30 years and then we get tired, and the pressure's on, and we throw it all away. And we begin to lose some of the rewards which we have earned. No, what is he saying here? Finish strong. Finish strong. Let me say to the senior saints, finish strong. You've done well. Finish strong. Maybe you can't do like you used to do. You can't, you can't go like you used to go. But you can finish strong. Let me say to the people that have been serving God a long time, finish strong. Let me say to those of you that are weak and weary and you're struggling under the strain, don't give up. You can do this. Finish strong. Hold fast to that which thou hast. And don't let anybody steal your crowns. You're going to be okay. Isn't that a good instruction from the Lord? God's good. And it all starts with coming back full circle, holding fast the faithful word. Folks, if we give up on this, we're done. 
And so we're going to hold fast the faithful word by God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth that we were able to cover tonight. Pray that you'd help us to hold fast and to, in these days of pressure and strain and apathy and apostasy, that we would hold fast to the faithful word. And we wouldn't look for a new way, an easier way.